We're in this series in our mornings about grace, how grace saves us, how it sustains us. This morning, we're thinking about how grace shapes us. And not just us, how grace maybe has the potential to shape our city through us. So I want to read a really familiar story. Maybe one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus we see in the scriptures. From John chapter 13. Feel free to listen or follow along or whatever way you process best. This is God's word. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, listen to this, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Listen to the anticipation in those words. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And Jesus, the Son of God, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the very towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who who said to him, Lord, Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head, everything as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is already clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so because that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
This is God's word and we thank him for it today. Let's just pause. Before I bring my words and reflections to this, let's just pause. Let's pray. Some of you are in church today and you're carrying the weight of the week on your shoulders. You're carrying disappointment. You're carrying frustration. Maybe you're even carrying grief. And as we gather this morning, I want you to realize that that, that God is here. That he wants to speak to you. So take a breath in. Hold it for a second. And breathe out. Repeat it. Breathe in. And breathe out. Allow the distractions of this week to fade Allow yourself to be fully present for what God wants to say to you and do within you this morning. Breathe in grace so you can breathe grace out. Breathe in grace so you can breathe grace out. Amen. Amen. That framework, that model, breathe grace in so you can breathe grace out. Hold that in your mind as we journey through this text this morning. It's water, not coffee. Don't judge me. So jam's on this week, and and, and part of what the kids will do in jam is they'll make little crafts. So if you're a parent, I apologize, your house is going to be coming down with toilet road tubes covered in paint and plastic bottles that have been recycled and and all kinds of things that you'll be expected to put on your fridge or put in the kitchen window and say to your little one, it's amazing. Have you been there? Danny, if you have a roof space full of Christmas decorations made from toilet road tubes? Yes, some of you do. Um, When I was a kid... I remember in primary school making for my aunt a, a little pot made with clay. And I, I think I was going through a psychedelic phase because I painted the pot luminous yellow and I painted the lid of the pot luminous pink, you know, those classic com- colors that just really combine well. And, and I made this pot and I, I put my best effort into it, but it looked really higgledy-piggledy. It was, it was rubbish. Like, it, it was really bad. And I give it to her, and she, she made all the perfect noises. She said, oh, thank you so much, God. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, this was maybe 30 years ago. Fairly recently, I, I was in her house, and I was past her bedroom, and I noticed on her um, little table she has in her bedroom with you know, hairbrushes and bits and pieces of makeup on it, that little pot sitting there. 30 years later, on her bedside, or on her table in her bedroom. And I thought to myself, I cannot believe she's kept that. It's pure rubbish. (laughs) It it, it looks horrible. The lid doesn't even sit on it properly. The color scheme would give you a migraine by looking at it. 
And then I realized the value in that little pot wasn't in its own perfection because there was no perfection in the pot. The value in the little pot was in the love of the person who shaped it for her. And their fingerprints were all over it. Their fingerprints were all over it. And she kept the pot for 30 plus years, not because the pot was amazing, but because she adored the person who made the pot and the love that they had put into shaping it. And as we come to this text this morning, I want you to recognize the fingerprints of Jesus' grace over you, shaping you in the, in the good times so you can journey the bad times. Breathe in grace. This text this morning, it's, it's set in, in, in the upper room. It's just this, this period right before the crucifixion, right before the cross, right before that, that darkest moment in, in human history. And it's, Jesus and his 12 disciples, because Judas is still with them, gather together. There's 13 of them gather around this table to celebrate the Passover, this Jewish meal that has its roots right back in the time of Moses at the Exodus. And it's where we get our communion meal from. And they gather around this table. And and custom would dictate that there would be a servant present because these guys have been walking all day through a dry, arid, dusty landscape. They've been walking all day in sandals. Their feet will be be dusty and, and, and sore and tired. And custom dictates that when they sit down for a meal, a servant would go round and wash the feet of each guest. And if no servant can be there, then the person with the lowest status in the room, today we would say the least followers on Instagram in the room, would, would take the place of the servant and would make their way around and wash the feet of those who were there. To give you an idea of what that would be like, if I asked you to line up today, in order of tallest to shortest, we could do that. Bit of to and fro with this many people, but we could do it. If I asked you to line up in terms of weight, heaviest to lightest, probably a bit more awkward, but we could do it. But if I asked you to line up in terms of who's the most significant person in the room and who's the person that has achieved the least, you get a sense of the tension that is building as these guys sit around the table and they're looking at each other and and Peter's sitting there going, well, listen, you know, 2,000 years time in Orangefield, the guys are going to be talking about me, but, you know, Bartholomew, I think it's you, mate. I think it's you. And they're sitting there and nobody moves because nobody wants to admit that they're, they're the least successful in the room. And then the tension is, you could cut it with a knife as, as Jesus No, it can't be. No, it is. Gets up. The rabbi, the teacher, the leader, the the most significant person in the room, Jesus gets up and he strips off his outer clothing. He puts a towel around his waist, which is the uniform of a slave, and gets a basin of water and he kneels down and takes the sandal 
off Judas Iscariot's foot and begins to wash his foot. And then he moves to the next person and and uses his own hands to, to massage and to cleanse the dirt from between the toes of John. And he moves from disciple to disciple to disciple. And, and this is more than a cultural taboo. You know, we, we, we get that he is the leader. He's the most significant person in the room. And he should be the last person to do this according to custom. We, we understand that. But this is more than a cultural taboo. This is theological revelation. Because what John does in his gospel, John's an artist. The way he weaves words and stories together. And every time that John talks about a religious festival, he is revealing something significant about Jesus who's saying, this is actually about me. And in John's gospel, three times it talks about Passover. And the first time is in John chapter 2, where Jesus is at the temple. It's Passover time. And Jesus says to the guys who are listening, that temple that's taken years and years to make, you are going to destroy it and I will raise it up in three days. And they're thinking, what? And obviously we know in hindsight he's talking about the cross. He's talking about his own body. But he says, I I will raise it up in three days. Who can raise it up in three days? Well, a human being can't do it. It took teams of people to do that. The only person who could possibly do that in three days is who? God. And right at the very beginning of his gospel, John is saying, this is not an ordinary person. This is Yahweh come amongst us in human form in flesh and blood. Jesus is saying, I am God. And then you go to John chapter 6, and it's Passover time again. And and we see Jesus in the wilderness, feeding 5,000 people with bread and fish. And then he comes into the city, and he, he says to them, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats from me will never be hungry. Well, go into the Old Testament. Who fed a crowd of people in the wilderness with with supernatural bread? Yahweh. God did it. Jesus is saying, I am God. Come amongst you in human form. And this third time, at Passover, just hours before the crucifixion, before Jesus gave his life on the cross, what we find is not just the cultural taboo of the teacher in the room taking the place of a slave. What we find is Yahweh on his knees holding the feet of these men and washing dirt off them. Bill Johnston an American pastor and author, he says, lead with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. Isn't that what we see in this moment? And what's amazing, he comes to Peter. I love Peter. You know, 
if Peter had a bigger mouth, he'd put his two feet in it and put one of yours in it as well. He, I love Peter. He, he just says what he thinks all the time. We all have friends like that, don't we? Do you have a friend like that who just speaks and then thinks later? It's great. Uh, it comes to Peter, and Peter's been watching what's going on. He's been shuffling in his seat. He's been getting really uncomfortable. He comes to Peter. He starts to take off Peter's shoe, and, and, and Peter says, whoa, 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 hold on. Jesus, never, never will you wash my feet. It's not right. It's not right. Never will you wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And remember the posture. Peter's sitting at the table. Jesus is on his knees looking up at Peter. And Jesus says to him, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. And and, and Peter, all in, both feet, Peter says, where's the bath? I'm just jump in, total submersion. Bit of an awkward one for us Presbyterians, but he's all in, he's he's up for it, so he is. Wash me completely, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you don't understand. Someone who's already been washed doesn't need a bath, they're already clean. Some translations say they're already clean because of the word I have spoken over them. You only need your feet to be washed. And what's going on there in that? Because it's a strange thing to say. And what Jesus is doing with Peter, what he's saying to Peter, he's articulating a theological reality. Because when we come to forgiveness, when we come to salvation, when we come to the cross, we have have the reality of forgiveness that we call justification. And we have the experience of forgiveness that often we call sanctification. And, And what Jesus is saying to Peter and what we believe as Christians is when you give your life to Jesus, when you repent of your sins and turn to him, his death on the cross in that moment covers you. What he has done on the cross covers you for all eternity. His forgiveness covers you past, present, and future. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. When you give your life to Jesus, when you repent of your sins and turn to him, you are forgiven. You are part of God's family. You are owned by him. The blood of Christ has washed you clean. There is the reality of forgiveness that nothing can take away and nothing can change. And yet, if you're a Christian this morning, I'm a Christian this morning, I've prayed that prayer, I've asked Jesus into my heart to forgive me. And yet there are days that, that I go through the day and I get to the end of the day and I feel worthless. And I think, why did I say that thing? Why did I open my mouth? Why, why, why did I do that? I told you yesterday, Jesus, I would never do that again. And yet here I am again today doing it again. Well, what is wrong with me? And you don't feel very forgiven, do you? And what Jesus is doing with Peter, he's saying, you have been forgiven, but you need 
to experience the reality of that forgiveness again and again and again. And guys, maybe for some of you, let me say something else before I get to that. He's holding Peter's feet and he's pouring water over them and he's saying, Peter, you need to allow me to shape you by my grace. You need to allow me to shape you with my forgiveness. You need to, you you know you're forgiven in this moment, but stuff's going to happen in a few hours' time where you're going to forget that you're forgiven. You're going to mess up. You're going to to deny me. You're going to say you don't know me. And and then on the back of that, you're going to feel a shame in your soul that crushes you and and wants you to run away and hide and and think you're never going to be good enough. And, And I want you to remember that you're forgiven. I want you to remember this moment where I washed you and I washed you and I washed you. I want you not only to have a reality of the knowledge of forgiveness. As Presbyterians, we're good at our theology and our doctrine. But I want you to live forgiven. I want you to experience forgiveness. I I want you to know how, as Paul says, how, how wide and deep and high and complete is the love of God for you. And it's amazing because Jesus knew that only hours later, when he's been arrested, somebody's going to come to Peter and say, do you know him? Are you a Christian? Are you with him? Are you with him? Are you a Christian? Into work tomorrow. Are you, are you a Christian? Down the rugby club. Are you a Christian? And Peter bottles it. And he says, no, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I've never seen him before in my life. And the rooster crows and Peter remembers that Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. And when Jesus is sitting, washing Peter's feet with the full knowledge that Peter's going to deny him, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Because Jesus knew the shame and the guilt that Peter was going to feel. And Jesus says to him, you're washed. You're clean. You're forgiven. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. Allow my grace to shape you so that you are aware of it even in your disobedience. Breathe grace in. And I look around this church and some of you I know by name. Most of you, I've forgotten your name. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. (laughs) But I'll get there, I promise. But my point is, I I, I don't know you. But if you're like me, you're probably here this morning and you've done stuff this week that just hasn't been great. Or you've thought stuff this week that just hasn't been good. Maybe you've been looking at pornography online. Maybe there's problems at home and and, and you're fighting and you're you're just not holding out forgiveness, you're you're holding on to that bitterness and that hurt and that pain. Maybe it's financial issues and and, and things that you've been spending money on that, that, that you don't need, but you can't seem to not rack up those credit card bills. Maybe 
maybe you're just here and because of words that have been spoken over you or things that have been done to you in the past, you're sitting here and you're simply feeling not good enough. And you come into this beautiful church with a smile on your face and you keep people at a handshake distance. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And inside, you're dying because you think everybody else has got this sorted and I'm struggling, I'm the exception. And you're sitting here and you feel like a fake. You feel like a fake. You feel like if the mask slips, people would judge you and you wouldn't be welcome. And you're even struggling to admit it to God because your perception of God is that he is an angry tyrant who demands perfection, who's looking for better than you can offer. And what I want you to do is stop looking up there and start looking down at your feet. And the same Jesus, the same Yahweh that that knelt at Peter's feet and washed them is at your feet weeping, bleeding, saying, I love you. I want you to experience my forgiveness. Let me wash your feet. Not because you're good enough, but because I am. And I can make you good enough. Guys, some of you are here this morning and my prayer is breathe grace in. Breathe grace in. Breathe grace in. And then exhale. Then breathe grace out. Because Jesus, after he washes Peter's feet, he stands up, he he puts his clothes back on, he he goes back to the seat at the head of the table that, that the person of authority sits in, that the teacher sits in, and he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? I am your teacher, I am your Lord, that same word as Yahweh. And if I have washed your feet, now you go and do what I have done. You bring into your heart the the, the attitude that, that you see in me and may that define your relationships this week. Go and do what I have done. You are my body. You are my ambassadors. You are mirrors of my grace. You are carriers of my kingdom. Paul says that you are the hope This is the hope of glory for the world, Christ in you. Go and breathe grace out this week. What does it look like? What does it look like for you to breathe grace out? Into your workplace where there's a culture of greed and a culture of self-centeredness. What does it look like to breathe grace out? tomorrow morning in that environment. Because I rebuke in Jesus' name any spirit of fear that holds you back from bringing the presence of Christ into your workplace. What does it look like to breathe grace 
out into your family, into your home, where, where maybe you have a husband who is apathetic to things of faith, and you have children who, who used to be around church but are now hostile any time the name that Jesus is mentioned. What does it look like? Not to preach at them, but to breathe grace out amongst them. What does it look like to kneel and to wash their feet? What does it look like to breathe grace out in your relationships around church? Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been burned here. Maybe somebody said something to you and it's just cut the heart out of you and you're thinking, well, if that's what Christians do. And you're sitting and you're folding your arms and you're waiting for an apology and you find yourself, even though maybe you've been the victim, you find yourself in this place of entitlement. And, and Jesus is saying, there's no room for entitlement in my kingdom. What I want you to do is to go and kneel at the feet of the person who has hurt you, has denied you, and breathe grace out. It's the only way forward. What does it look like to breathe grace out into this city that has lost a respect for the authority of Scripture, that has lost the fear of God, that has lost the caveat to love your neighbor? What does it look like to breathe grace out? Let me tell you a story as I finish. Most of you, or some of you have met my son Archie. You've probably all heard him. He was the one shouting, sit down, sit down, during Gary's prayer earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, Archie, as you get to know him, you'll realize that he has different complications and, and some disabilities. Um, and certainly when he was born, we were told that he would probably never walk. He would certainly never speak because of, of the damage that was done to his brain when he had a hemorrhage there. And, and yet through amazing people in the NHS and through the power of prayer, through miracle after miracle, Archie continues to defy the odds. And every time someone says he won't or he can't, he steps through that into a new season of life by the grace of God. And we had a, we had a wonderful experience this week. Um, Lara and the kids were up at New Horizon. And... Um, last year when Lara was booking our kids into the youth program up there she phoned the New Horizon office sort of you know, a few months before it started and said um, listen our, our girls are booked in but we have a son Archie who has disabilities is there any way for him to be included in the program in any way and New Horizon was running for 29 years at that point and and the girl said she was wonderful. She said, do you know, we've never in 29 years been asked that question. But I would love to say yes. Let me see what we can do. That was on a Friday. On the Saturday, an email came into the New Horizon office from a girl in Limavati who was a teacher and worked with special education children in school saying, listen, I would love to get involved in New Horizon this year. I'd love to solve, serve in the children's ministry. And if there was any way I could help out with any kids who have special needs, I'd be so happy. 
and the New Horizon staff came back into the office on the Monday, read this email. They were doing cartwheels because God is working in real time and answering prayer. She phoned Lara up and said, you'll never guess what, this girl Kerry wants to do a one-to-one experience with Archie. And so last year, he went along to New Horizon, and, and it was the first time that that had happened, and he was part of the program, but it, it wasn't ideal because the program was all singing, all dancing, it was loud, and it wasn't geared up for kids with developmental needs. So there was a few conversations back and forward over the course of the year, and this year, for the first time, New Horizon in their youth and children's program had a whole separate stream for children with disabilities. And they had 20 volunteer leaders and 13 kids with special education needs who were included in the program at New Horizon and had the most wonderful experience. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you it because my son, whose life is often defined by what he can't do, breathed out grace, breathed out grace into a culture and changed it to make it more inclusive. And maybe you don't see it this way, but from where I'm standing, my son was really involved in pioneering a new ministry at one of the biggest Christian arts festivals in the UK so that other children and other families can be blessed by that ministry. I I, I think when we talk about breathing grace out, we, we look at God and we, and we think he can do anything. He can split the Red Sea. He can bring down the walls of Jericho. He can raise the dead because we see the empty tomb and we build our lives around it. We have no problem believing that God can do the impossible. What we struggle with is that God could or would use you and use me to breathe grace out into a culture and allow his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So breathe in. You are loved. You are chosen. And as you say yes to Jesus, you are forgiven. You are shaped by grace. Now go from this place and breathe grace out onto this city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross, for that picture of grace that invitation of grace and that opportunity of grace. And we thank you for a savior that is a servant that kneels and washes the sin of every part of us. And I'm so aware, Lord, that there there are people here today who are walking with you and yet feel far from you. And I believe that God is inviting you to experience his grace afresh this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, breath of God. 
and release grace over your people. And for some of us, I believe God is saying it's time to set things down. And for each of you, it's going to be different, but, but it is going to look like a conversation. Not a literal foot washing, but a, but a swallowing of pride and stepping back towards somebody that you've stepped away from. Jesus, as you wash our feet, we commit ourselves to being a people that wash the feet of one another in this place. And we commit ourselves to being a people that wash the feet of this city.